All right, well, we're going to dive into two books together at the same time, First and Second Peter in this one video. Uh, they're a little bit shorter. They're quicker reads. Uh, some of the topics and themes we're going to see in these books are things that we've already touched on. So maybe go a little bit quicker. Still great books, though. Just some powerful words and powerful theology that come out of these. So I do want to spend some time walking through them and getting an idea of what to expect as you're reading them for yourself. So let's start with First Peter. We believe 1 Peter was written by the Apostle Peter somewhere around the mid-60s, maybe 64, 65 AD. Uh, and we think he probably wrote it from Rome. Uh, we know that Peter kind of ended up there and became sort of the first bishop, the leader of the church in Rome. And this letter was sent out to the various Gentile churches across Asia Minor. Well, you might hear that and you say, well, that sounds familiar. Isn't that what Paul did? Yeah. Uh, either Paul is taking a cue from Peter or Peter is taking a cue from Paul. But this idea of like, I'm going to write a letter, uh, a general letter to the Christian community, and I want you to pass it around. Because uh, both Peter and Paul were leaders of the church, so people would have wanted to know what they had to say. So in many ways, First Peter looks kind of similar to a Philippians or an Ephesians, maybe not directed to a specific church but it's expected to be passed around, give a general, you know, some thoughts, some ideas to people. Uh, and the, the whole aspect of first Peter, and if you, if you start here and you keep this in your mind, the whole letter will make a lot of sense. It is a theological argument. It is a, let me give you the reason behind suffering for Christ. It's all about suffering for Christ. Um, this was about the time that persecution of the church was beginning to really heat up. Uh, we already kind of saw this in some of Paul's letters. So by the mid-60s, it was becoming very difficult to be a Christian. Uh, it was difficult to be a Christian in Jerusalem, where the Jewish people were very against the Christians. But now you're outside in Rome and in other parts of the empire, and the Christians are starting to get a, a kind of a weird reputation of, of being anti-imperialist and, and doing weird stuff. And they're starting to come against them. You have Nero, who blames them for a big fire. It was becoming a difficult time. So for the first, while it was always, it was never easy to be a Christian, by the mid-60s, people are actually dying for this. And you're starting to really experience true suffering. Uh, there's beliefs that Nero, um, you know, just went a little bit crazy and like used Christians as human torches to light up the night. All kinds of uh, things have come to us from history that this was a difficult time to be a Christian. And so Peter, like Paul, is sending a letter. He can't go everywhere himself. So he's sending a letter and saying, pass this around, read it to everybody, encouraging all these young Christians. And remember, when I say young, Granted, he might have been writing, there might have been people who read it who were in their 50s or 60s and had been a Christian for 20 years. But in the grand scheme of things, they're all young, right? None of them had been part of a 2,000 year Christian tradition. These are all people who've only been Christians for 20 years total. And things are now getting really tough. And it's like, ah, oh, didn't, we didn't know it was going to get this bad. And so they need people like Peter and Paul to write to them and encourage them and say, like, I trust me, hang in there. It's, it's okay. It's good. And, and continue to go after this. If you can just kind of imagine, we often look backwards on history. We, we kind of look, oh, that's what, that's what God was doing, right? I look back over a couple thousand years. But these people didn't know or expect that being that choosing to follow Jesus was going to be difficult and really hard. They didn't know he was going to be a long time coming. They, they had no idea what to expect. So when things really started to get difficult, when, when they started being thrown to lions, it was like, oh, wh what is this? What's happening? Should we, uh, do we want to keep doing this? And you needed leaders like Peter to write to them and say, guys, don't give up. Don't give up. I know it's tough. I know it, may, it might not have been what you expected, but don't give up. 
So then Peter wants to actually give some theology, some, some, let me give you, I, I don't just want to say keep fighting. I, let me explain how some of this suffering is to be expected and actually could, could serve some good purposes. So his main theme is suffering like Christ. And I, I want to focus on that word, like Christ. His argument is, okay, you might not have expected that this was going to be difficult, but you should have because the one that you're following was crucified. <laughs> and so he took on persecution. He suffered. And he actually said, you rem- if you remember, he said his followers w- would go through what he went through. And we are foreigners living in exile. The kingdom of God is not, the kingdom of God is not the kingdom of the world yet. We're, we're part of a kingdom that doesn't control this world. Um, and our king suffered. And he calls us to do the same. So what you're going through, it actually isn't unexpected. We, we, you should have known this was coming because you're following a crucified Messiah. He served as an example. And in laying his life down, he won others over. And so here's kind of the turn. He, he wants to make an argument that all of Israel, the Jewish people, the entire Old Testament, the whole purpose that they were, that they were elected for, called or chosen was to show God's goodness to the world by laying their own rights down. And, and they were the suffering servant, but they kind of failed at it. And so Jesus became the true suffering servant, the one who would pay the price for the rest of us and show us a way forward. If he was willing to suffer and he was willing to lay down his life to show God's love for the world, it was an example for you and I to follow. So follow it. That's the big idea. You're following Jesus when you suffer. Our suffering for Christ, like Christ, is all part of God's saving plan. Uh, It's part of this future hope. So Peter wants to write to the church and say, in the face of suffering, rather than being like, oh, this is too hard, I quit, why is this happening? Submit to it like Christ. He he bore the cross willingly and continue to, to obey and to live righteous and holy despite what's going on and keep looking ahead to a glorious future. Uh, just as Christ uh, endured the cross for the joy set before him, so you too follow his example. So it's all about we're suffering like Christ. We're suffering with Christ. This was not something to be unexpected. He shouldn't surprise you. This is, we're following a crucified Messiah. So how much more should we expect to suffer ourselves? And there's, there's actually some good in it. So then we'll talk about the walkthrough. Here's kind of how he breaks it down. It's, again, a short book, but some powerful stuff in it. Peter opens with a with what reads kind of like a Jewish benediction, a public prayer giving thanks to God and pointing out through it that their suffering, the people he was writing to, and maybe if you're suffering, any of us, their suffering um, is actually bringing about something good. It's, bring, it's purifying them. It's, it's, it's molding them, like being put in a hot furnace and melting all the dross away and only pure gold remaining. There's actually your benefit from it. Uh, so he's kind of reminding them through this prayer that through the suffering, they're, they're becoming what God has called them to be. So give thanks to God in praise. So think about that. They're, they're freaking out. They're suffering. It's really hard. You get this letter from Peter and he's like, hey, praise God for your suffering. Praise God for my suffering. What are you talking about? Actually, there's some good that's coming through this. And then he goes into the, over the, uh, the rest of the first chapter, given all that, follow through on the original command that God gave the Israelites and now gives you to be holy for I am holy. That's what God says. Let your life be evidence that you are God's children living in his image. So the word holiness is a really difficult word. 
uh, it has some base meanings, but then how people use it can change. The most common understanding or usage of the word holy would be something that is different or other, something that's not like something else. It could mean something set apart. It could mean something's different. Uh, it, it eventually became uh, the word like consecrated or sacred. That's the same word, sacru. sacru. Um, so to be holy, though, at its core was like, this is something different and other. God is different than other. God is different than the rest of the world. And you're called to be like him, not like the world. Um, so let your, let your life look like him because you are now his temple and the way that you live your life declares his praises. So the way that you live, the way that you behave, your actions reflect on God and show God to the world around you. That's what the Jewish people were called to. And now in Christ, that's what you're called to. And he really picks this up then in the middle of chapter two. And essentially you, in the way that you live your life, are a sign to these pagan people who don't know God. You are, you are, uh, you're like the neon arrow saying, God, this way. And as God's temple, you declare his glory to the world. You're living, um, the way that you live, the way you behave will speak something. So living good lives among the pagans, even the ones who persecute you will actually bring about good. And he said some really hard stuff here about being submissive to authorities. And sometimes verses like that, you know, it's like, oh, you know, obey the government. He was talking about authorities that were trying to kill them, <laughs> just to be clear, even the ungodly ones. But his reason is the only way you're actually going to win them over is not by starting a revolt and killing each other. The way you're going to win them over is to choose to be like Christ and endure suffering and choose joy in it. Um, not to repay evil for evil, but to show God's love by enduring and humility rather than anger and aggression. And that's such a powerful thing, isn't it? That's like, if you're going to be like Christ, that's how he did it. He didn't fight back. He took the cross. Um, and so starting in chapter four, it's suffering for Christ to see, to change your mindset rather than like, oh, this is so hard. I can't, which it is, right? But it's like, hey, there's purpose here. You're actually suffering for Jesus when you suffer, when it's becoming an example to others. Um, Jesus himself said, a, a servant is not above a master. They persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you. But when they persecute you, rejoice because you're with me. <laughs> We're in this together. Um, rejoice because you're being obedient and sharing in what Christ went through. Uh, and he even challenges the elders of the church to lead by this example. The, the men and women who had power and authority and could put themselves above it all and said, no, no, you're all in this together. All of you should endure suffering to share with Christ and show his love to the world. Um, and this is really a powerful thing, isn't it? Like, how will we respond to suffering? Will we see it as I need to fight this and fight back and get a gun and shoot somebody? Or will we respond to suffering and persecution by saying they did this to Christ and he laid his life down and chose to love. I'm going to do the same, believing that that's the only way I'm ever going to change their minds about who he is. And so that's the main theme of first Peter follow Christ. It's, it's not just about obeying his moral teachings. It's responding to evil and persecution the way that he did, uh, taking it on enduring rather than starting a war and killing others. Um, that's the way we bring about peace and reconciliation. That's how we serve as his ambassadors by living the way he lived. Um, so we're to take on suffering, show the love of Christ. Uh, and you know, there's so many ways you can think about that. How do we even maybe many of you watching this are, are, you know, Americans living in the 21st century. What does it look like to endure suffering? 
what does it look like to be careful to use the word suffering when we shouldn't? You know, Starbucks writing happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas is not persecution and suffering. And yet we still respond as if we, you know, First Peter calls us to live differently, to think differently, to respond differently. And that makes it a really great book. Okay, let's now move to Second Peter. Now, Second Peter is a little bit of a difficult book. Uh, it's actually one of the most questioned books of all the New Testament in terms of authorship. Uh, there is a lot of dissent among scholars as to whether it was actually written by the Apostle Peter, or maybe it was written by one of his disciples as kind of like a testament to him after he died. We don't know. And I'm going to dodge that question. I, there's not really a time in an overview class like this, um, but it does make the date and even the intended audience a little difficult to discern. Um, but it is a book that's been accepted as canon. It's part of our scriptures. We believe it's inspired. And it does have some really important things to say to us. So let's talk about the purpose of Second Peter, kind of skipping over the, some of that stuff and just get to the heart of it. Okay, you are a follower of Jesus. <clears throat> and uh, you said yes to this Jesus thing. And Jesus, when he left, said, okay, you guys go and make disciples of nations and I'll be back. Okay, great. Let's go, guys. And you start making disciples. And a year goes by. Hmm, he's still not back yet. Five years go by. <laughs> 10 years go by. And 30 years go by. And after 30 years, what starts happening? The critics start chirping. <laughs> Look at you guys. You're so stupid. You bought into that nonsense. He's not coming back. Look at look at you. What haven't you given? Haven't we seen yet that Jesus was obviously lying? This whole thing was a this whole thing was a farce. Jesus isn't really coming back. Um, and we've already seen this problem addressed a little bit when Paul wrote to the churches in Thessalonians one and two, uh, the questions of Christ's return. Um, in those letters, it was more about when will it happen? What will it look like? Did we miss it? Second Peter has a slightly different flavor. It's dealing with the same issue. Um, but here we see two things happening, apparently. The first was some Christians are starting to get really lax. They're starting to say, well, you know, it's been 30, 40 years. Maybe he's not coming back. I'm just going to go ahead and live as I want. And they were almost using his delay as an excuse to kind of fall back into sin. Well, he's been a long time. I'm going to stop. This, this Christian thing's kind of hard. I'm going, to I'm going to ease up a little bit. It's been a long time, him coming. And so Peter, the author, I'm, I'm going to assume it's Peter, wants to be like, hey, just because it's taken a while doesn't give you an excuse to fall back in old things. The other thing that seems to be happening, people on the outside, critics, maybe people that have already given up on it, seem to be picking on and making fun of people who are still waiting. You're so stupid. I can't, are you seriously still waiting for him? Come on. And so Peter writes here in 2 Peter to address both of these issues. The big idea, the, the main focus of this is Christ will return. Um, he writes to condemn people who start to doubt it and question it. And to remind people very firmly, Christ will, it's going to happen, people. So do not give up living pure and holy lives. Do not let the delay be an excuse for you. Now, that can be a little bit difficult for you and I to apply today because this was 2,000 years ago. And we're like, yeah, we've already kind of accepted that there's a good chance most of us probably won't see Christ in our lifetime. Maybe we will, but we're not, we're not living our lives like, is he coming tomorrow, right? So for us, we've already sort of accepted and acknowledged following Christ is means obedience regardless of when he comes back. But in the first century, that wasn't happening. And he had to speak into this. Like Jesus is going to come back, guarantee it. Don't stop 
being pure. Don't stop being holy. Don't stop being obedient. And he's going to punish people who, who said otherwise, who lied and told people they could just give up and be, you know, you know, sinful and all these kind of things. Christ will return. So live like it. So he begins in the walk as a walkthrough with one of the greatest verses in the Bible. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I just love that. Uh, he's saying, guys, even though Christ, he's, he's a way he's coming, but don't forget, you have everything you need. You have the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need for the kind of godly life. Don't use any excuses. Don't let the delay, don't let any of that keep you from missing out on what God wants to do in and through your life, the power of the Spirit. So keep adding to your faith. Don't go backwards. Don't get late. Ah, I guess it's not coming. I'm just going to kind of take it easy and stop trying. No, no. Keep adding so you can be effective and truly follow through. Uh, make sure you receive your reward. I, and that's kind of an important idea, this idea of a reward. Like, don't don't, don't give up now. I know it feels like, is this race ever going to end? Keep going. Keep running. Um, you, you'll receive a rich welcome in the kingdom if you keep going and don't give up. Um, and so then he'll kind of move in towards that. It's assured that Christ is going to return. Peter writes to tell his readers, don't listen to these false teachers, these liars who are denying that Christ is going to come, who are, who are saying, oh, it was just some clever scheme that he was coming back. He's not really coming back. Don't listen to him. It's not true. Um, there were eyewitnesses who heard him say it. Like I was there. Don't listen to these people. He said he's coming back. I was at the transfiguration. I was on the mountain. Jesus is going to come back. Um, and we saw all the scriptural prophecies that, that can show this can be trusted. Don't listen to those people who are telling you that Jesus isn't really coming back. This is a hoax. It's not a hoax. It's true. It's real. Hold tight to it. Uh, Peter then gets into some really harsh language towards those people who are saying this stuff. Chapter two, those who deny Christ's return, those who are like, this is stupid. He's not coming back. You guys are dumb. Uh, or it's taking a long time. I'm just going to go ahead and keep living like I used to. He's like, hey, when Jesus comes back, it's not going to be good for you people. <laughs> uh, there'll be divine judgment when Christ returns. And those who didn't live in holiness will face that judgment as though they've rejected God. While those who have stood strong will be saved and experience all the good and greatness of the age to come. Uh, and Peter uses here a lot of Old Testament examples to show Throughout the Old Testament, God always rescued the righteous and punished the wicked. Um, even rebellious angels were punished. So don't you give up now. Guys, don't listen to this nonsense. Keep going. Keep being faithful. Keep obeying. Don't listen to the liars. And, you know, listen, he gets in chapter three. Again, many are laughing at you. I get it. I get it, guys. I get that people are making fun of you. Oh, you've been waiting 30 years. Your God's not coming back and all this stuff. You know what? He says, they did the same thing to Noah. <laughs> Remember? You guys know the story. Noah built a boat for years and years. And it's not going to rain. Noah, you're stupid. And what happened? In the same way, <laughs> uh, he's like, hey, day is to a thousand years to the Lord. So it might be tomorrow. It might be 2,000 years. But the rain's going to come. Jesus is going to return. Keep building the boat. Don't give up. Um, and when he comes, it's going to be serious. And you're going to be glad you held strong to it. So live that way. Live like he's coming back. Uh, he then closes his book with a very vivid picture of destruction by fire and all this kind of stuff. I'm sure there's some references. He's probably still the idea of a flood wiping out the world. Uh, I, this points the way to some a lot of what we're going to see in the book of Revelations in a little bit in, in our study. Um, 
but it also raises some questions as to how literal do you read a passage like this? This is a, this picture in second Peter has caused some to think that, well, it doesn't matter how we treat the earth. It doesn't matter, you know, the earth, it's all going to burn anyway, and we're all going to go live on a cloud. I don't think that's a good way to read second Peter. I think he's using flood imagery and the flood uh, didn't completely blow up the earth <laughs> and take everyone to a cloud. Um, it brought judgment on the wicked and it brought about a new restored home for Noah and his family. Um, so I think, I think there's a metaphor here that we're called to see that the new heaven and new earth is going to be a new remade place and the old is going to be done away with. Not that you and I have permission to just mistreat God's creation because he's going to destroy it anyway. I, I think that's misreading it. Um, but that's a topic we'll probably cover more in Revelation, how to read these kind of books. Uh, but the point remains the same in Second Peter. We are called to live holy lives and hang on no matter how long it takes him to come back. And again, the book feels differently to you and I, because most of us, you know, uh, we're, we've entered into this Christianity thing knowing it's already been a couple thousand years and it could be who knows how much longer. So it's not a first Peter or second Peter, the overall tension behind the letter isn't necessarily a tension you and I still feel as much. But I, I, I like the concepts of like the, the scoffing. Oh, this is stupid. I, and like, no, no, it's going to happen. That second Peter is a reminder to us. It could happen tomorrow. Live as though it might happen tomorrow. Christ is going to return. So don't give up. Don't lose heart. Keep going. Um, keep being holy. Keep taking advantage of the fact that you have everything you need for life and godliness. Uh, and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant when he does return. All right. That's first and second Peter. Uh, take time to read him this week and, and, and work through them. And uh, just have so much to speak to. It's a great book. So uh, we'll be continue our study. I pick it up in the next book. We'll keep reading the, what the New Testament has to offer. So thanks, everyone. <music>